Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. I have a guest each week. We talk about different apostolates. We tell conversion stories. We explore architecture, art, music, philosophy, literature. We explore the faith. We we talk about apologetics a bit, and uh, we have a great time exploring the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. My special guest is a convert and a, a young, enthusiastic Catholic Brandon Vaught. Welcome to More Christianity, Brandon. Thank you, Father Dwight. It's great to be here and an honor. Thank you. Now, Brandon, where are you located in the United States? I am right outside of Orlando, Florida. Oh, way down in Disneyland. (laughs) Right, yeah. Every time I tell people I'm from Orlando, the most common question I get in reply is, Oh, so you must go to Disney World every day, right? <laughs> and you've got, tell me, yeah, we do other stuff down here too, yeah. <laughs> you've got a wonderful young family. Um, are there three children? That's right, yes. Uh-huh. Our oldest, Isaiah, is four. Our daughter, Teresa, is two. And our son, Augustine, just turned one. And do you really have them over at uh, Disney World every weekend? Every day, yeah. Every day. <laughs> anyway, um, Brandon, it's great to have you here with us. And, uh, you're really active in the new media with blogging and websites, and uh, you've written a book about that. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But first, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about why you decided to become Catholic. You were in a Methodist and a Presbyterian background before that, and what is it that drew you to the Catholic Church? Well, whenever I'm asked this question, I always quote G.K. Chesterton, who delightfully said, the problem with explaining why I'm Catholic, the difficulty of explaining why I'm Catholic— is that there are a thousand reasons which ultimately amount to one, namely because it's true, you know, and that's what ultimately drew me in. Everywhere I looked across the board on theological, liturgical, moral, spiritual matters, I discovered that the Catholics were right, that they had historical, philosophical evidence to back up their truth claims. But more specifically, the one thing that really drew me in was the Eucharist, Mm -hmm. uh, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Growing up as a Presbyterian and then uh, mixing in Methodism while in college, uh, I fell in love with Jesus, and I I loved Jesus. I loved to pray. I loved to worship. I loved to read the Bible. But once I encountered the Catholic belief that not only can you do those things and encounter Jesus to a certain extent, but in the Catholic Church you can encounter Him bodily in the Eucharist, I became hooked and wondered whether it was true. You know, and like many converts, reached that turning point where. You know, if the Catholic Church is right about the Eucharist, then I need to become Catholic, because that's where the Lord is. If, mm-hmm. if they're wrong, then they're wrong about everything else. It's the greatest heresy, the greatest form of idolatry. Mm-hmm. And so I really studied the Eucharist by reading the Church Fathers, reading the Church's theological interpretations of many biblical verses like John 6, and became convinced. And so once I fell in love with the Eucharist, all the rest of the dominoes fell into place. You know, Brandon, I had an experience some time ago. I was at a Catholic conference for families, and at the youth stream, the high school-age young people were having their session, and they began their session with a time of Eucharistic adoration. And their speaker for the day was actually a Baptist evangelist, and he was there to help them to discover how to share the faith. Well, as the story goes, he turns up at the seminar room and comes through the door, and he sees something he has never seen in his life before— And this is 150 high school kids on their knees in absolute silence with their right hands lifted up as we're reaching 
forward and he looks forward and what they're reaching for is an altar which is bathed in candlelight with flowers and in the center of this is the monstrance with the presence of our Lord right there. And of course, as a Baptist pastor, he's like, what is this? He'd never seen anything like it. And so the leader of the group, the Catholic leader of the group, took him on one side and said, this is what it is. And he explained about Eucharistic adoration and the Baptist pastor, who of course, like you, loved Jesus with all of his heart, he began to weep. And he, he went down on his knees and he said, I've never experienced true worship before. And these Catholic young people are teaching me. Now, I don't know whether that Baptist pastor like you and like me uh, ever took the step to come into the Catholic Church, but that's what we're talking about, the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. To become a, a Catholic from another Christian denomination is not to turn your back on those other truths, but to add to them the fullness of the faith. Would you agree with that I way would, of putting it? I would, it? yeah, and I've, I've always appreciated your, your term, which is more Christianity, that it's not a repudiation of all good in our Protestant upbringing, but it's an extension, an amplification mm-hmm. of all that's good about life, worship, and, and teaching. I found it to be true, and I, I know you have as well. So, Brandon, you became a Catholic, and you're charged up with enthusiasm for the Catholic faith, and you're busy evangelizing and sharing the faith. One of the ways that you do that is through the new media. Can you just explain to our audience, what what do we mean by the new media? Can, can you help us here? Sure, yeah. Whatever I used to phrase, new media— there's naturally an associated old media. Yet I, I quickly learned when writing and speaking on this stuff that uh, many people take offense to the term old media and instead prefer the much more highly regarded term traditional media. And so uh, those are the two I try to use. And here would be the difference. So traditional media, which would include things like newspaper, video, and television, are forms of communication where the message is conveyed typically one way. So it would go from a producer to a receiver a creator to a consumer. The new media, however, which includes many digital tools like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, blogs, text messaging, and more, all of these are two-way communication devices. And so it's not about uh, just exchanging information from one place to another. It's about engaging people. It's about relationships and dialogue and conversation. And so that would be the defining mark. Most new media are also defined by having some sort of relationship to the Internet. Most of these tools rely on the Internet, like social media, websites, blogs, and whatnot. And so I'd say those are the two defining characteristics, Internet-based communication tools that are two-way forms of dialogue. So you were talking about Twitter, we're talking about Facebook, we're talking about MySpace, we're, we're talking about websites which are increasingly interactive with comment boxes and email connections. We're talking about uh, internet forums, I guess also uh, internet radio communications, although people can get in touch through websites and stuff as well. So would you agree that the new media is not only defined by it being a two-way communication um, and being internet-based, but there's also this global element, isn't there? I, and I know with the traditional media, there was a global element sometimes, but I find as a blogger, I check where my readership is coming from with some of the search engines, and I have readers all over the world, you know, New Zealand and Australia, Sweden, Denmark, all over the place, even Orlando, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head there, too, that one of the most revolutionary things the new media has removed two of the great communication barriers, which are geography and chronology. A couple thousand years ago, if you wanted to hear Jesus preach his Sermon on the Beatitudes, you would have to be 
at the Mount of Beatitudes at the exact time that he preached it. A hundred years ago, if you wanted to hear Fulton Sheen on the radio, you had to be in front of your radio and tune to the right station for the Catholic hour at the right time. The modern new media, you can engage this content wherever you are. It extends across the globe thanks to the Internet. And then most of it, too, is archived online. So you can read blog posts at 2 in the morning. You can read them five months after they were written. And you can listen to radio shows like this one wherever and whenever you want. And so there's no longer any barriers to communicating, which is huge for the Church. It presents some, some remarkable potential and power. Wonderful potential and power. What are the disadvantages, do you think? Well, there are many. As you know, through your own online work, some of the major ones include this new media's natural tendency toward anonymity. For instance, when you're engaging a blog post and you scroll down to the comment boxes, what you'll typically find, specifically on religious and moral discussions, is a lot of vitriol, a lot of sarcasm, a lot of negativity, which comes as a result of not talking face-to-face with somebody about these more important issues. Some of the more philosophical problems include things like disembodiment. You know, these tools, maybe more than ever before, have removed the body from communication. You think about podcasts and how you go on like a train or a bus or even out to dinner, and and what do you see? Almost all the people listening to their cell phones or their iPods with earbuds (laughs) in their ears. And everything that they engage is through digital means and without human interaction. And so... Those are just two of the many substantial negative elements that these technologies bring. I think one of the other things is because it's instant, because it's quick, our attention span is kind of being reduced at the same time that the material is being reduced. So a blog post, for instance, for me is maybe only two or three hundred words. Not too long ago, a typical news article would be three times that length or four times that length, and a decent magazine article would be ten times that length. When when you go to Twitter, which is called microblogging, what is it, you get 142 characters or something like that? And so yeah, that's right. the communication is therefore reduced and is made very concise. And for a writer, that's really a challenge. But at the same time, it does mean that very often there's a certain shallowness to it all, and we never really sink our teeth into, into a, a good, solid argument. Uh, do you agree that that's also one of the problems? Yeah, I would. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned a, a buzzword there, shallows. And two years ago, there was a neuroscientist named Nicholas Carr who wrote a book called The Shallows, and the subtitle was How the Internet is Ruining Our Brain. <laughs> And his point was that uh, in his neuro research, he was able to show how by reading these very short and pithy, minute articles and by scanning them, so even the longer articles, people are now not reading every single word, they're merely breezing over it, mm-hmm. that's actually establishing pathways in our brain to make us better at that sort of light reading and worse off at the more deeper sustained reading. And so what he said was, your brain's like a muscle. And so if you don't engage in the deep, holistic reading that we know well in our Catholic tradition, then that skill atrophies. You lose the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. And so we've become a society of shallow readers, of shallow listeners, and certainly the new media plays a role in that. There's an acronym you'll see a lot of times on message boards and in comment boxes that people will put at the end of a long comment or a long blog post, and it's T-L-B-R, and it stands for too long, didn't read. <laughs> and what's <laughs> ironic is that that itself is an acronym. It didn't even have the attention to type it out. Right. And I think that right there sums up the sort of online culture. Too long, didn't read. 
You're listening to More Christianity. This is Father Dwight Longenecker. My guest today is Brandon Vaught. He's the author of a book on the new media. Also, he started up a wonderful new website called Strange Notions. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. I encourage you to visit my own website, DwightLongenecker.com. You can go there to browse my books, to be in touch, to engage in conversation, to also connect to archived episodes of this radio show, More Christianity. And you can connect there to my blog, too, Standing on My Head, where I try to blog every day on different matters about the faith and church. Connect through DwightLongenecker.com. Brandon, tell us a little bit about your book, Church and the New Media. You gathered together various contributors who were involved in the new media, some of them well-known and eminent, some of them who are not so well-known and uh, not so eminent, including myself. So can you tell us a little bit more about your book? Sure, I'd love to. So a few years ago, I fell into a situation where many different things converged. One of them was that I myself had been writing a blog for a few years, ever since I converted to the Catholic Church. And so through my own blogging and the feedback I received, I understood how powerful a medium something like blogging could be for many purposes, evangelistically, for faith formation, for building community, and many more. So I knew the power personally. The second thing was that I realized the institutional church as a whole was extremely behind the times when it comes to new media. Uh, Looking back to many of my Protestant friends and communities, I saw that the Catholic Church was a good two to three years behind the Protestants in adopting these tools, and about five years behind the secular world. And so I knew that we needed to get the Church up to speed. And the third thing I recognized was that outside of me, there was lots of Catholics, individuals, who were doing great things with the new media through blogs, podcasting, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. And so the hope was to present a book that would offer many different perspectives on how the Church could embrace these tools for her mission. I knew that I couldn't write the whole thing myself, and it would present a very constricted, limited view of how to use these tools. And so what I tried to do was get the best of the best people in each of their fields to contribute a chapter on their area of expertise. For instance, we have Father Robert Barron writing on how he uses YouTube videos to engage atheists and agnostics. We have Marcel Lejeune, who's the campus minister at Texas A&M, the largest Catholic campus ministry in the country, writing on how to engage young people through new media. Then we have well-known and successful bloggers like Mark Shea and yourself, writing on how blogging is sort of a new epistle, and how that St. Paul would have loved to dive in and use this to reach thousands of people. And then we have stay-at-home moms and priests, scientists, and entrepreneurs, and all sorts of ordinary Catholics showing how these new media tools fit into their life. And if that wasn't enough, we were able to bookend the book with an extraordinary foreword by Cardinal Sean O'Malley and a great afterward by Cardinal Timothy Dolan. And so all of that, I think, provides a really unique and, if I could be so bold to say, definitive question of how the Church can use these new media tools for her mission. I think you also have been invited to come to dioceses and parishes as a kind of consultant about the new media, haven't you? You give seminars and talks and so forth? That's right, yeah. For the last couple of years now, I've been traveling around speaking at seminaries, to dioceses, to parishes, which I love to do and I'm really excited about because when I wrote the book, I felt like the Church as a whole was in this phase where they really didn't understand the power and potential of new media and therefore didn't engage. Uh, but within the last couple of years, I've seen a shift to where now most priests, most seminarians, most church leaders understand that the new media is the church tremendous opportunity. 
but they just don't know where to start. They don't know how to set up a Facebook page or start a blog, and when they do, they don't know how to use it well. But that's a huge step from where we were two years ago. At least now they recognize they need to, and they just help to do it, whereas before they, they didn't even consider it something worth doing. One of the things we find in blogging using the new medium are that there are lots of atheists out there, uh, agnostics and people who use the com box. The, the com box is slang for the comment box. They use the comment box and, and come in there and uh, try to pick a fight with you sometimes. They come to my blog, that's for sure. I have a general policy that I don't argue with atheists because I don't want to be stuck up or anything, but I, I just got so many other things to do. But you've taken the challenge. I have to hand it to you, Brandon. You've started a new website, which is called Strange Notions, which is designed deliberately as a forum, as a place for those of us who believe in God to engage with the atheists. What got you started? Well, several things. Uh, I was praying one day, and I was—I had just finished up a couple of big projects, and so I was asking the Lord, what's next? What do you want me to do next? And I felt the Lord telling me that, you know, hey, you're really good with new media, Brandon. It's clearly one of your gifts, and you're so passionate and enjoy dialoguing with atheists about uh, what theologians would call natural theology. This mm-hmm. is understanding and explaining the nature of God and his existence based off of logic and our own experiences. So I became infatuated with that field, and so I felt the Lord say, create this website. And my first thought was, oh, no way, Lord. You apparently have never read a comment box, Lord, because <laughs> these comment, the atheist commenters are just vitriolic and nasty yes. and argumentative. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, but then I heard the Lord ask me, if you could help one atheist take one step closer to me or my church, would you do it? Mm-hmm. And I knew I couldn't say no to that. And so uh, it's, that was about two years ago. So the site was two years in the making. Uh, I, I reached out to dozens of friends of mine, including you and many other well-known Catholic writers, theologians, philosophers, intellectuals, scientists, artists. So now we have a collection of over 30 different contributors who I think cream of the crop of the Catholic intellectual world who are contributing articles every single day, mm-hmm. uh, videos, articles, and the idea was that we would post this Catholic content online and then invite charitable and serious-minded discussions in the comment boxes. Now, the site has been live for about three weeks now, and the results have been remarkable. I, I never could have predicted, number one, how much engagement we'd have from the atheists. So in the first three weeks, we've had 3,600 comments, and about 80% of those have come from atheists. And the second thing that's been remarkable is the tone and quality of these comments. I expected that uh, we'd have to do a lot of a lot of warning. I have a team of five different people helping me to moderate the comments, but surprisingly, the type of atheist that we've attracted, which we've gone at length to ensure we're trying to bring in the right type of atheist, uh, those who are open-minded and interested in respectful conversation, uh, we've been able to attract the right type so that out of those 3,600 comments, we've only had to remove three. And we've had really no problem with the nasty, Mm -hmm. fallacious sort of argumentation you see online. So to that end, I think we've been really successful. Now, as you know, through your own blog, one of the characteristics of this new media work is that you really never know what sort of impact you're having. You know, you might write an article that gets 10,000 views and like three comments. And so the question is, what do those other 9,997 people feel about the article? Did it help them? Did it not? You never know, and I think this site's the same way. I'm sure we have tens of thousands of atheists reading it, 
and we'll never know if they're swayed by these arguments or if they're intrigued by them at all. Mm-hmm. But we got to do it. We got to be like St. Paul at the Areopagus, evangelizing the atheists, even aware that you'll likely be mocked or dismissed or scorned. I think the fact that you spent two years investing time and effort in, in getting this website up there is really a wonderful testimony and a reminder to anybody who wants to get involved in the new media. This is increasingly a very professional and a very polished enterprise. The blogging and websites and everything, it all started at a pretty low amateurish level. But of course, as the technology's increased and as people have got more involved, the production values have gone up. You've produced with John Flynn over at Kickstart Media that a wonderful looking website, a, a great trailer video that went up to attract people to it. You've spent time combing through my blog and website and other people's, gleaning lots and lots of articles, and you're loading up lots of archived materials on the historicity of the Gospels, on arguments for God, on explanations of Catholic moral theology. I mean, it really is a fantastic effort, and um, I I wish you every blessing and and, uh, success in doing so, Uh, especially as I think you've still kept your day job, and this is is not a full-time apostolate, is it? That's right, yeah. I uh, I still work full-time as a mechanical engineer, um, but the great part about the site, I, I tried to be very strategic about it, that I did all the hard work up front, and so uh, over the two years, you know, I spent developing the site and collecting all of the content that I'm going to need for the near future, mm-hmm. and so I have a bank of over 500 articles that I can pull from on any given day, and so it requires very little work each day to post a new article, uh, usually little more than copying and pasting text and then formatting it and adding a picture. And so uh, I'd encourage anybody who's thinking about diving into this world of new media to, uh, to think it through and to be intentional and strategic about it so that you're not burning yourself out once you get started. One of the things also about this new website, and I need to direct our audience there, uh, it's called Strange Notions. Is that the address, strangenotions.com? You got it. Yeah, strangenotions.com. If you have atheist or agnostic family or friends, encourage them to go over and have a look at it. This is a, a website which is not hitting people over the head with a two-by-four of the Catholic faith. You know, it really is open-minded, it's intelligent, it's witty, it's very, very well-researched. Here are some of the the finest intellects in the Catholic Church today who are contributing articles and insights. And any open-minded, inquisitive and curious atheist or agnostic is going to hit that site and if they're even a tiny bit open-minded, they're bound to be blown away by it because it really is really awesome, especially as you've laid things out very politely and very nicely. And you've basically said, come now, let us reason together. Let's talk about these things. And if you're really searching for truth, let's get there. You're listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. My guest today is Brandon Vaught. You know, Brandon, I'm sure you found like I have that a lot of the atheists their anger and their dismissal of God and their disbelief in God is almost always a disbelief in a God that we don't believe in either. <laughs> Father Robert Barron says this as well. He's, uh, if you disbelieve in the God who's a, a granddaddy in the sky, who who gives nice things to his favorites and punishes the people he doesn't like, well, I don't believe in that kind of God either. So I respect your atheism in that respect, <laughs> up to that point. Do you find this as well? I do, all the time, all the time. I'm convinced that the greatest confusion about Catholicism today is a confusion about what Catholics mean when we say God. Right. You know, there was a a great Dominican theologian back in the 20th century named Father Herbert McCabe, 
and Father McCabe loved to debate atheists, which was kind of strange at the time. And when he did, what was even more strange was he always invited the atheists to go first. And so in a debate, typically the person making the positive argument would go first so that the person making the negative argument could disprove them. So if you're arguing about the existence of God, the person who believes God exists usually go first. Well, Father McCabe always chose to go second, and so he would invite the atheists to go first and explain why he doesn't believe in God. And the atheists would inevitably make many of these same claims, you know, oh, well, how could you believe in a God who commits genocide, who doesn't care about the suffering and the poor, a God who commands human sacrifice and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. Well, when it was Father McCabe's turn to go, he would gingerly walk up to the podium, turn toward his atheist opponent, smile, and say, I completely agree with everything you just said. <laughs> now, that would kind of elicit a, a snicker from the crowd, but what he meant was that the God that you reject, I reject too, because the God I believe in is nothing like that God. You merely misunderstood him. And so part of what we try to do at Strange Notions is present a proper depiction of who God is. We don't mean he's a fairy tale, mythical being flying around in our universe. We mean he's beyond space and time. He's ipsum esse, the sheer act of existence itself. We don't believe that God is tyrannical or bloodthirsty. The God of compassion and love ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So correcting many of these misunderstandings, I think, is key to helping atheists and agnostics take one step closer to the true God. Have you found so far that you've had any of them at all say, well, interesting point. You're making me reconsider. <laughs> I'd like all of them to say that. Uh, but we've had, had, we've had a few who have showed some sort of intellectual surprise at what the Catholic Church teaches, I found that a lot of atheists have had some experience of fundamentalist Christianity and automatically lump all the rest of Christendom into that group. And so the reason we created this site was to constrict the conversation to be between Catholics and atheists. Right. You know, I've had friends say, hey, there's lots of great Protestant biblical scholars, lots of great Protestant writers and thinkers, why not include them in the site? And the point here was that when you do that, what we mean by Christianity gets very diluted and confusing, and so it puts up more roadblocks to faith that don't necessarily need to be there. And so I found that a lot of times an atheist on this website will make an argument like, how could you believe in the book of Genesis when it clearly contradicts what we know about cosmology and about evolution? And then when we can come in and very kindly and respectfully explain that Evolution may be at odds with fundamentalist understandings of Genesis, but certainly not with our faith. That's when it kind of opens their eyes and said, oh, you know, well, here's a, a branch of Christianity, or we would say the root of Christianity, that has no problems with modern science, that is certainly not in conflict at all. And so it's small steps like that that I think will ultimately help people. It's for small roadblocks to be removed. And so now a person like the one I just described has one less reason to stay away from God. And hopefully when you remove all those, then like C.S. Lewis, one of our mutual heroes, they'll find that they've been checkmated and they have no way around it. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity. My guest today, Brandon Vaught, the founder of the new website, strangenotions.com, reaching out to agnostics and atheists with a rational and a reasoned and a witty and an intellectual response from the Catholic Church. Thank you, Brandon, for being our guest. God bless you, and God bless your work. Thanks so much, Father. It's been a joy. 